0: Hope Church. All right, good morning. Glad you're here with us, either here in the parking lot or online. Glad to have you here today as we continue our study uh, through the book of Genesis. This morning we're in Genesis chapter 3. So if you have your Bibles or your app, whatever it is, this morning. Um, please go ahead and get to Genesis chapter 3. In Genesis chapter one and chapters one and two, we saw that God had created a wonderful universe. He created an amazing universe. We still see that amazing universe today when we look up out at the stars and the sky, sun and moon, the trees around us. Or as we look under a microscope, we see the awesomeness of God's creation. Uh, and just one note there that you know God created um, a mature creation. You know, Adam and Eve were not created as um, you know little newborns, but they were created as you know fully functioning adult um, you know humans. If you had gone to the Garden of Eden. I'm sure they would have had an appearance of trees of of many different ages, um, from saplings to what appeared to have been there um, for a thousand years or more. If you, you know, if you cut a tree, unfortunately we just had to have a really large um, maple tree cut down. And if you look at that tree, once it's cut, you see the rings of it and each ring, you know, representing a, a year of growth. If you had cut down a huge tree in the Garden of Eden, it wouldn't have been like, oh, there's no rings, <laughs> you know, like it like it had, you know, had had just been, you know, made. That you would have cut that tree and there would have been a thousand rings there. Um you know it's it's a, a mature creation that God had made and he put Adam and Eve into this garden called the Garden of Eden And it was, you know, a great big old universe and a a pretty large earth for a couple of people. So God put them in a place where they could manage it, where they could handle the responsibility of. So what could go wrong? Well, we're about to find out this morning in Genesis chapter three. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. I and mean, we thank you for this morning, Lord. We thank you for the opportunity to look into your word together. We pray that you would teach us from it and that you, Lord, would um, help us to understand and to apply correctly. Lord, we thank you for your great love and your mercy. In your name, Jesus, we give you praise. Amen. you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. And so what do we have going on here? You know, we have, you know, the serpent, and and obviously, you know, we know from, from the, like, big picture was that, you know, God had allowed this, this temptation to occur. Um, we, we know that prior to this, you know, Satan has already fallen and taken a third of heaven with him. Um, you know, the book of Revelation talks about this, uh, this serpent, also called Satan, uh, the devil, um, here... Um, you know the dragon, but here in, in this this form, um, as a serpent, and the serpent. You know, there's a there's a lie that is told, and the, and the enemy's lies aren't just you know straight, direct, obvious lies. They have elements of truth mixed in. That is the art. Of deception to have a little bit of truth so that the person questions and considers. But here we see even that Eve knew that they could eat of the trees because, you know, the serpent says, Has, has God indeed said shall need of every tree of the garden? It says, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it. Nor shall you touch it, lest you die. We see back in Genesis chapter two that God had given that instruction to to Adam, and that instruction had been given, you know, to Eve, right through through Adam. But then the serpent says, tells a lie. You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day of you eating, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Well, there's elements there that are true. Your eyes would be opened. That's true. You would know good and evil. There's part of that that's true. You will be like God. That's not true. You see, the enemy's lie here is that God is holding back from Adam and Eve. That God doesn't want them to have something that is good for them. That's the lie. You see, and this is the distortion. If you go back and read Genesis chapters one and one and chapters one and two, and you see the creation that is made, and you see um, God creating human beings in His image and making Adam and Eve for one another and to be a family unit, you see that there's there's laws that come along and say, well, you know, there's a thousand different ways to do this. You don't have to listen to God's way. See, there's these little subtle lies mixed in with a little bit of truth. A little bit of truth about their understanding. A little bit of truth about some temporary pleasure that they would receive. But the enemy doesn't say the consequences. He says you will not surely die and that one is the direct law. Because God had promised in that in that day that they took it that dying they shall die. You know death will have entered into the scene and and death again scripturally we need to make sure we understand it and can define it that death is separation. There's a spiritual death which is separation from God. There's a physical death with the separation of the spirit from the body. See, so spiritually, what we're going to see here is we're going to see the death of Adam and Eve. And then the beginning of their physical demise.
1: You know, they're not going to
0: drop dead, but that dying process is going to begin. Sorry for the spoiler alert, they take the fruit. As <laughs> we see here in verses six and seven. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. So again, notice that verse six. She sees it's pleasant. It looks like it's going to taste good. It looks like it is good. She believes it's going to make her wise. And so she takes of the fruit. And eats. She takes of the fruit and eats. Again. You know, sin at the beginning. In the temptation phase of sin. Before it has gained control of a person, the sin looks appealing. That is going to make me feel good, or that is going to make me wiser, or that is going to make me stronger, or that is going to make me wealthier. There's an appeal to something that we want. No sin starts off with, take this do this and you're gonna die. That's not how the enemy the enemy doesn't put a huge you know warning label at the beginning of the sin process. but once a certain amount of control there is there then the warning label doesn't matter because the enemy has control. sin has control. I want to be very clear here it says Eve took took up the fruit and ate and she gave to her husband with her and he ate so remember Adam is still is there he's seeing this whole thing unfold he's not like oh Adam was on the other side of the garden while Eve has this conversation with the serpent and then later on she brings him some and doesn't tell him what it is or something like that that's not how the story goes He's right there. He's right there with her. Now, the reality is he's passive. He doesn't step up. See, he had a responsibility because that instruction was given directly to him in Genesis chapter 2 to not take of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He had an opportunity to shut that whole mess down. And say, Eve, we're walking away. We are leaving this conversation. We are leaving this situation. This temptation. We're not taking it. But he doesn't. He allows her to take it. And then he takes it. Because, you know, there's a question that gets brought up about who is responsible for bringing the human race into sin. You know, was it Eve or was it Adam? Before I answer that question, I'll tell you something a little funny. This, this, we were, I, this came up, this subject came up, even not not related to me preaching Genesis 3 this, this morning. But um, and, I, and I don't remember exactly how it came up. We talk about Adam and Eve and sin, and one of my kids says, Man, I wish they had never existed. <laughs> Which, and then there was a realization of, like, Oh, wait, but then what about the rest of us? Okay, well, I just wish they hadn't done what they did then. <laughs> you know? So, who's responsible? Eve was deceived and took the fruit and gave it to Adam, and he ate it. But again, remember, the direction specifically given to Adam in chapter two and the scripture seems to squarely put the fall of humanity on his shoulders. Romans chapter five. Romans chapter five. uh, We'll look at a little bit later, but just keep that in mind. I think it's pretty clear about that. So then in verse seven, then the eyes of both of them were opened and that they, and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. So they, they were, they did um, gain, you know, part of what the enemy had said was true and that they did gain. A greater, you know, an awareness of things that they did not have awareness of before, but that wasn't good for them. That wasn't helpful to them. What it caused between the between Adam and, and Eve was from innocence to distrust between one another, not looking at each other the same in the same way. That they had prior. It creates difficulty, and they feel this need to cover their nakedness. And now in verse 8, after they have sown the fig leaves, put those on, in verse 8 it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord. God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. The Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? Again, this this question isn't for God's benefit. God knows exactly where they are. It's for Adam's benefit of like, hey, you can't, you know, you you can try, but you're not really going to be able to hide here. Verse 10, so Adam said, I heard your voice in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. Verse 11, he said, who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the fruit of the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? God knows the answers, but he still asks us the questions. So that we'll understand that he understands and we'll understand what we're supposed to understand. Then the band said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So when confronted with a sin, what does Adam do? Adam blames both God and Eve. Adam points a finger at Eve and says, God, remember you gave her to me. Okay. Okay. And then, so he points the finger at God and and points the finger at Eve and she gave me the fruit. As if he, you know, as if Eve had like held him down and jammed the food into his mouth like you would give a child medicine and like forced him to swallow it. That's That's how Adam acts here, like, I mean, I was just standing there. Next thing I know, like I've been attacked and this fruit is in my stomach. Like I didn't even, I mean, I don't even know what's going on. And Eve just, you know, passes the buck to the serpent and the serpent, you know, just doesn't say anything. But ever since this first blame game, In Genesis chapter three, the human race has been playing this flame game ever since. We all do it. We we learn. I mean, it's in us to do it. You don't have to teach kids to do this. You put multiple kids in a room and there's conflict and then say, what happened? And you'll see how this plays out. Well, so-and-so did this. Well, so-and-so did that. Well, so-and-so did this. Well, so-and-so did that. And nobody's sitting there going. Just right off the bat, it was me. Mom, dad, it was me. I I'm the I'm the guilty party here. I started it. When's the last time your kids, you know, you you have kids and they've done that, or you've you've seen kids interact and there's been conflict and, and the first thing is you one of them pops up and goes, It was me. I'm the one who's responsible. I'm the one to blame, I'm the one who deserves to be punished. You see, it's in us, in our human nature to blame somebody else. And we love having someone else to blame. Because if we have somebody else to blame, then that means we don't have to take responsibility for what we've done. One of the things I'll always remember about Brother Pepe down in Mexico is he was really good on this subject of, of responsibility and getting to the root with people. So, if he was counseling, you know, counseling a family with conflict, he would say, you know, what happened? And somebody would say, what happened? And he would say, well, what happened before that? And what happened before that? And he would get to the root till finally somebody would say, okay. I was wrong when I did this. And that first person saying they are wrong usually caused a chain reaction among others saying, well, I, then I was wrong in how I did that. But we have to remember because the lesson there and, and what he would tell tell people and, we take with us today from from this lesson is that there's one person that's responsible for your sin. There's one person that's responsible for my sin. I am responsible for my sin. The environment is what it is. Other people around us doing what they do, provoking, picking a fight, this, that, or the other thing, I'm 100% responsible for how I react in every situation. I am 100% responsible for my attitude, my words, and my actions, and no one else. I mean, yes, I received a sin nature from Adam, but even as we continue in the scriptures, there's still the responsibility of each one for their own sin. I cannot sit there before God and say, well, so and so did this or so and so did that, and so I committed this sin in reply. See, that doesn't work with God. I'm responsible every time I fail, not somebody else, not the world, not Satan, me. Scripture says that no temptation has overcome you except what is common to man. But with the temptation, God will make a way of escape. You see, every time we're tempted to sin, every time we're in a situation, there's a way out that doesn't involve sinning. Every single time. So every time, every single time I sin, I am the guilty one. Period. Full stop. I mean, that's just it. I don't get to look and go, well, so-and-so did this, or so-and-so did that, or so-and-so provoked me. No, it doesn't work. It doesn't work before God. You are not 100% responsible for our own sin. That other person is 100% responsible for their sin. They can't blame you for it. I mean, they may. Blame you for it, but it's ultimately their responsibility, regardless of what, what you did. Each one has to carry their own weight. Now, with that, again, it's a sin to provoke people. Right? So you can't say, you know, when somebody's like, Well, you did this to me, I mean it's like, I mean, yes, again, you're guilty for your part, and if your part was provoking that person, then you're guilty of, of the provocation. You're guilty of of getting that person riled up. Now they're still responsible for how they responded. Again, each one. So normally when there's conflict, occasionally it's like a hundred and zero. Occasionally it's a hundred and zero. Usually when there's conflict, it's like there's plenty of guilt to go around. And again, each person is responsible, hundred percent responsible for their own part. Each person's responsible for their own part. But in our world today, people don't want to take personal responsibility for their own words and their own actions. It's just a lot easier to blame everybody else or to blame the system. Listen, folks, we know the system is corrupt. Every system is sinful. Every system has corruption in it. How do we know that? Because our first parents sinned and humans have been sinning ever since. So pretty much everything sin- humans touch is gonna have a, a, a certain amount of a problem in it. There are repercussions. We read about some of these repercussions. In verse 14, it says, So the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Even there, in that conversation with, with Satan, we have a couple of things there. We have an illusion, um, or alluding, not illusion, illusion, looking forward to the cross. We see that humanity and, and, and even Jesus himself will be... Um, Hurt by the enemy, but ultimately his head will be crushed. To the woman he said, "I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children, and you shall, your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you." So again, I mean. There's repercussions. It's amazing to think that the God's original plan that in, in uh, childbirth there would be no pain. Well, any woman who's given birth will tell you there's there's pain involved in that process. Your desire shall be for his husband; he shall rule over you. Meaning that that what was you know in, in that blessing. of of family that there's now difficulty. And, you know, again, I'm going to talk about this in a minute, but in in Jesus, you know, a lot of of the problem things that were caused in the garden, a lot of the curse um, can be mitigated. But again, there's there's going to be conflict, even in the home, because of this fall. And then to Adam, he said, because you have heeded the voice of your wife and have eaten from the tree of which I have commanded you, saying, you shall not eat of it. Again, very clearly, God is saying, you were there, you heard, you have opportunity to stop it. But, you know, you, you wanted to make... Her happy instead of being obedient to me. Listen, men, I'm preaching to myself this morning, that'll preach. Nothing wrong with wanting to, to you know, to make your, your wife happy, and you know, there's that phrase, happy wife, happy life. Well, folks, men, that only goes so far. Like, and when God has said something like we have to be willing to say no this is what god has said and so this is what we're going to do or, i'm not going to participate in that you know there is a responsibility that's there that adam did not heed and it says in, in consequence cursed is the ground for your sake in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you and you shall eat the herb of the field in the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it, you are taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. There's that spiritual consequence again that we mentioned earlier, that spiritual separation from God, that spiritual death. But here we have consequence that there is going to be physical death for Adam and Eve. And now, and even creation is going to groan. That creation, imagine you know, what they were able to have in the Garden of Eden, you know, the, the ground bringing forth abundance without thorns and weeds, without pestilence, you know, without difficulty. And now things are going to be hard. Things are going to be difficult. And it's interesting when we look... Well, uh, let me finish this up. I'm, I'm going to come back to this here just for a minute. Let me finish this up and then... Verse 20, and Adam called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. There is shedding of blood at the first sin in order to cover Adam and Eve. It's a precursor to what will come. The Lord God said, "Behold, the man has become like one of us in the good and evil. And now, lest he put it in his hand and also take the tree of life and eat and live forever, therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And again, this is God's grace and mercy." he doesn't allow them to then go and take of the tree of the life because they've already committed sin. You see, and the crazy thing is that they had a, it seems like they had a choice. They they could have made, because there was only one tree that they weren't supposed to eat of, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So they could have taken of the tree of life before then. But so that they will not physically live forever and ever in sin you know they they have to die so that spiritually they can be made new and whole with god so god in his mercy protects them from eating of the tree of life just a couple of other notes I want to make on this passage this morning. I want to go back to what we talked about earlier about the sin being on Adam's shoulder in Romans chapter 5, verse 12. It says, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. In verse 15, But the free gift is not like the offense, for if by the one man's offense many died, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. That's Adam, and that's clear in the, actually the verses that I, that I skip. Through the one man's sin, for the judgment. Which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and in the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as though one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation. Even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. Whereas by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Scripture is very clear. That you know, Adam's responsibility that his sin brought forth sin into the world and that because of that we're all born into sin we all sin except for the one who was sent from above, born of a virgin Jesus Christ and we see some amazing parallels back in Genesis 3 the struggle of Jesus that Jesus would sweat and sweat not just you know human perspiration but he would sweat even drops of blood that he would toil because of our sin that the ground would produce thorns and a crown of thorns was put on his head, that because Adam took of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, Jesus, the son of God had to be put on a tree and crucified for us as took the lives of these animals and gave Adam and Eve covering so Jesus would lay down his own life so that we would be covered by his blood Genesis chapter 3 tells us how we fell as a human race and also gives us clues about our redemption. He gives those first prophetic words about the one who would come in our place. Between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed, the virgin birth implied, he shall bruise your head a final wound. You shall bruise his heel when on the cross, Christ paid for humankind's sin. See, we were in a helpless and hopeless state, but what Jesus did at the cross is greater than what Adam did in the garden. The victory that Jesus won at the cross was greater than Adam's failure in the garden. But by one man's offense, many died much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. See, it's a free gift. It's come to all, but not all have received it. But for those who receive it, you know, it results in justification of life. Because as this morning, we're able to look clearly and see that. Adam was responsible for his own sin and Eve was responsible for her own sin and you are responsible for your own sin and I am responsible for my own sin that we each had a debt that we could not pay because I am not responsible for providing life eternal, forgiveness, salvation, to myself or to anyone else. Only God could do that for us. No no mere human could accomplish that. We had to have someone like us to represent us as a human race, but he also had to be different from us and that he is without sin. the just dying for the unjust. Folks, this morning, this is what Jesus has done for us. And, you know, when we look around our, our world today, we have seen what in every generation, everybody sees the consequences of the fall and the consequences of continuing to live in rebellion against God. Why? Why? Do we have so many problems? Why are there so many problems in homes? Why are there so many problems in communities? Why are there so many problems in nations? It's because people live in in consistent rebellion against God and his ways. And because people live in consistent rebellion against God and his ways, our problems abound. And the more and more People rebel against God's ways. The further in distance from God's ways, the greater the distortions from God's ways in magnitude and in quantity and in quality. The greater people move away from God's ways of love and justice and truth and mercy. The worse our world is, the harder it is to live in it, the greater danger just for everybody walking down the street. What we see in the scripture is a spiritual solution to a spiritual problem. Sin is the problem. Jesus is the solution. Folks, if you want a solution to the problems in our world today, the answer is found in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you that politics don't matter or economics don't matter or, you know, these different things don't matter. But at the end of the day, there's a spiritual root to everything. And what is ultimately... A spiritual problem requires a spiritual solution. And that's where our focus and our attention as followers of Jesus has to be. We can let other people who don't know Jesus, you know, their, their primary focus is going to be other things. But for those of us who are followers of Jesus, the gospel has to be our primary focus and our primary way of making a difference in this world. Yes, we're going to do the other thing, you know, which well, is part of the gospel, but in, in the sense of love your neighbor as yourself and seeking to do good. But folks, we have to keep the message of Jesus Christ central and primary. Because even... A life on the outside that looks like it was just fine, apart from Jesus, it's still lost. The scripture says, "What if it was a profit a person if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul?" See, so a person can look like they got it all together and have everything, and still have an eternity separated from God. The gospel has to be the main thing. There's a lot more we can say about that. But our purpose in life is to lift the name of Jesus on high. May God help us to do so this morning sing a couple more songs we'll have communion um here I'm gonna leave it in the box and, and bag the box it's the one, ones with the gluten free and the bag is the ones that's regular so take which one you need um notice I said take which one you need and then um but I'm just gonna have them here you know on the sidewalk uh, because of the the wind I'm not gonna let them get blown over. So they'll be there for you to take as you're ready. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you now. We thank you for your word, that your word is truth. Help us to live by it. And ultimately, Lord, we're just so thankful that Jesus, what you accomplished for us at the cross it's far better far more powerful than Adam's failure in the garden. Lord, we know that you as well went to the garden in in the night that you were betrayed. And you took the cup that was set before you. So that we can take the cup that is set before us in remembrance of you. So if we take the bread and cup this morning. Dear Jesus, we give you thanks in your precious name. Amen.